The Cannabis and Home Grow Show is sponsored by AeroClean 420 and Aero Home Hobby, the industry leader in air purification in cannabis cultivation. Visit AeroClean420.com and PreventPowderyMildew.com to learn more about their cutting-edge technology that has proven effective across commercial grows for over seven years. You won't regret it. Hello, everybody. We have a very special guest on our show today. It's none other than Farmer Rick with Green Carpet Growing, and we're going to learn about all the things that he has going on in his life related to gardening, agriculture, and personal growth. Um, Farmer Rick has been a very innovative, creative force with Green Carpet Growing. Uh, but Farmer Rick, this is not about Green Carpet Growing today. This is about you, your background. How did you become Farmer Rick? And tell us about the really exciting projects you have going on um, with regards to agriculture. Thanks, Mark. Uh, really, really happy to be here with you today. And it's been a pleasure over the last couple of years working with Green Carpet Growing and, and helping people become self-sufficient and and uh, have the ability to, to grow their own foods and fruits and vegetables and medicines and all kinds of things. Uh, it, it really is um, an endeavor that keeps giving back and providing a lot of rewards personally um, and opportunities for growth and, and meeting wonderful people. And uh, I just can't say enough good things about the organization as a whole. Um, well, but you're stepping a away from information. <laughs> well, thank you. I try to be. It seems like the, the older I get, the, the less I know it feels. Um, Maybe it's you just learn that you you know you learn what you don't know, and that seems to be a lot. But I appreciate the confidence, and uh, I try to do my best when it comes to to growing uh, personally and professionally uh, in agriculture and in the science of life. And so, uh, yeah, really happy to be here with you today, uh, just to talk a little bit about what we have going on. Um, you live on an myself farm. here. I do. I do. Uh, we're here in Talmadge, uh, San Diego. Uh, we have a, a small corner lots, urban farm. Uh, we're growing several fruit trees. I think we're up to like 14 fruit trees now. Uh, we've got some chickens. Um, we have a, a tilapia tank. We're growing some fish. Um, you know, we have vegetables from chard and kohlrabi to tomatoes and beans and all of the things. Uh, it's just a small scale urban endeavor. We try to feed ourselves. And then uh, we also provide a lot of fruits and vegetables and leafy greens to our neighbors. Uh, we're definitely um, part of the community here. We absolutely love the Talmadge community. It's uh, diversity and it's really a food jungle. There's a, a lot of people growing their own fruits and vegetables here in the community. We're not the only ones in the, on the block who have chickens in fact. Um, it's just a very uh, homogenous community of, of people who love living here in San Diego. And so we're really fortunate to be a part of that and be a part of the Talmadge and Kensington um, area. And so we, we absolutely love it here. Um, recently, though, we have uh, picked up a farm. It is a family farm of mine that we've had in the family for almost 60 years now. Uh, and that is just four miles north of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, in a little place called Alpine Township, which is a, also a wonderful community and uh, with lots of, of uh, great people, kind and, and willing to help and, and be a part of the community as neighbors and, and friends and whatnot. 
And so uh, that's really uh, where most of our effort has been going these days is, is getting that small farm up and running. It was, it was uh, one of the older farms in the community. It was a 300 acre farm uh, built out in 1852. And um, over the years, it's, it's done many things. Uh, the last most recent decade, uh, it has been leased out for farming um, to another local farmer. And now we're going to kind of pull back and bring it back into the fold of a small family farm and grow that as a sustainable and restorative agricultural endeavor. Um, uh, for those who don't know a lot about agriculture in America, uh, post-World War II, we really kind of went to a monocrop system where you focused on growing one thing at a time and then you rotated your crop, you grew another thing, the whole field, all your fields or whatever were, were used for that one crop. And then you rotate between maybe it was corns and bean or alfalfa and a cover crop or whatever. And we moved away from a farm that produced a little bit of everything, the, the multiculture uh, farms, uh, mostly due to advances in fertilizer and pesticide. Uh, technology that came as a result of development and research in World War II. And so you had farmers who could grow out a lot more corn or soybeans and they could jack it up with a lot of fertilizer and amazing yields, right? Uh, that hadn't been seen before. Uh, but now what we're finding in, in different agricultural schools uh, like UC Davis, uh, Cal State Chino, UC Berkeley, Michigan State University, uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, the list is long and distinguished for the, the academic agriculture institutions. Uh, they have discovered that that may not actually be the most uh, formidable and resilient way to go about producing food for society and textiles. That the, the multiculture cropping and farming actually has some advantages from a, a financial and economic standpoint but also, and importantly, from an environmental and future generation standpoint. And so what we are going to do is, is grow out our farm so that we can achieve uh, a harmony between the environment and our crops and uh, work towards agro-tourism, which is becoming very popular. California has a lot of familiarity with this. UC Davis has been working on this for many years and bringing you know, I guess you would city folk as a, as a, you know, we have our urban farms, people come by all the time and they just want to know about what it takes. Uh, there's some people who think, you know, my tomatoes come from Vons. I get, I get my, my broccoli at Sprouts Market, like, and they don't know the whole backstory and what it takes to actually bring food from a field to a table. Rick and yeah. What, what's the history on your family farm and what's the future? And maybe speak a little bit to that agro-tourism in terms of, are you going to be doing this all on your own or are you collaborating with other farms? Well, we're going to collaborate with other farms. Uh, a lot of what we're doing is going to be happening at, you know, within our township. Alpine Township is really the, the overarching uh, community. And through working with the community, we're going to find solutions and, and work through things. But our farm basically uh, is along this uh, route. It was a stage route. And mm -hmm. along with other farms in the area, 
basically people would come into town to Grand Rapids. They would go into the city, do their banking, maybe pick up some furniture as it was a furniture capital at the time. Uh, and then on their way out, they would stop by what is now is called the Ridge. It's Fruit Ridge. And it's a group of counties and townships that run along this very special geographic feature that allows us to have very late frosts. And so uh, the, what happens is the wind comes across Lake Michigan and the natural terrain features of the ridge uh, help prevent freezing. And so we're actually able to put out better crops for longer and it gives us a natural defense against freezing. And so people would come up and they would buy their fruits and things, uh, load up their carts, and then they would head head towards you know uh, the port, fruit port. And on the way they would stop in Coopersville where Coopers make barrels and they would pick up their barrels and pack their fruit. And then they would head on a little further Northwest to Fruitport and they would put their commodities, their fruits, whether it was pears, peaches, plums, or apples, uh, corn or rye grass or whatever in their barrels. And they would put them on a ship and away they would go either down through the St. Lawrence Seaway. Uh, they would go up you know, through the upper peninsula, eventually using the Sioux locks to access Lake Superior and the other lakes, head off to Canada and whatnot. And so we were along that route. And at a time, uh, our farm was owned by an attorney. He had, uh, his name was uh, Mr. Wilson, and he owned several properties in the area. And this one was his smallest at 300 acres uh, with a, a beautiful brick home on it. And uh, it, it would occasionally be used as a stagecoach stop. Uh, it was right on Stage Avenue. And so all the homes in this community on this street at one time or another hosted stagecoaches for travelers coming to and from and in and out of the county, whether that was from Traverse City to Grand Rapids, or maybe they were just passing through on their way to Lansing uh, to head to the state capitol. And so uh, a lot of rich history, you know, 170 years. And so we're going to work with their community. Some of the people that are that own farms in this community, their same family has owned their their properties for 150 years many, many centennial farms, 100-year families there. So uh, it's rich with history, and, and we're really excited to be a part of it. What kind of crops do you want to grow on your 60 acres? Yes. All of we'll them. Grow them yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I'm really going to miss about uh, growing in California is growing avocados. They apparently don't like freezing temperatures of Michigan. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna put in uh, some more apples, pears, peaches, cherries. Uh, we're putting in leafy greens, and we're actually we're gonna reintroduce livestock to the property. Um, the chickens, goats, probably rabbits. Uh, you know, my mother's already called dibs on a a, a beef cow, and so uh, we what we're looking to do is um, use adaptive pasture like technology we're, we're going to rotate our crops uh we're going to rotate our animals like you can instead of tilling up your ground you could use pigs right and the pigs will go in and tear it up for you and uh they will do your tilling for you in general we're not going to till this is uh historically farmers since world war ii they come in they plow up the field they turn the soil they plant uh, that's how they control weeds and such but we're not going to take that approach we're, we're using an adaptive multi-paddock grazing format and no-till so uh, we'll be able to grow cruciferous vegetables uh, we'll probably grow everything except for potatoes 
that we can get away with in, the, in the, that climate region. Well, I know you love growing your kohlrabi here in California. Oh, yes. Purple kohlrabi is one of the greatest vegetables on the planet. It is one of my favorite. Uh, you can eat the leaves, you can eat the stalks, and you can eat the root. And what are your, what are your other favorites? Oh, probably Swiss chard. The red Swiss chard is amazing. Um, I'm a sucker for a really good ripe green bean. Um, cauliflower, broccoli, um, you know, carrots, multicolored carrots are delicious. Orange ones aren't bad either, you know? And so, yeah, we'll probably grow some sweet corn. We, we grew in our urban farm, we grew some uh, Hopi Indian maize last year. That turned out really well. We'll probably try uh, growing some of that up in Michigan, see how that does. Uh, it's more suited to a desert climate. And so that's one of the important factors that we look at as, as a, a farm and an agricultural entity is, is biologically integrating the fruits and foods and textiles that we grow uh, into the environment so that we can, uh, one, attract predators and beneficial insects, um, and then also, you know, help prevent erosion and clean the water and clean the air and have a harmonious relationship with our environment and our surroundings. So how did you so, become so knowledgeable? How did you become Farmer Rick? Well, so I grew up in this community, right? And, and as a kid, I spent more time riding bikes and dirt bikes and snowmobiles than I did working um, in the fields uh, until summer came, right? And then we had a lot of chores and we'd go cut down apple trees and, and do things. Um, uh, post high school, I was, went to Kennewa Hills High and post high school and joined the Marine Corps. Uh, they sent me around the world. I got to see some exciting places and, and a lot of different cultures. Um, and then, you know, the Marine Corps sent me to California. I stuck some roots down here, uh, decided to attend school here at the uh, University of California. And there I learned a lot about, you know, um, business and the economic side of things, the political side of things, dealing with zoning laws and rules, and then just somehow naturally worked my way back into agriculture, where my original roots are from. Um, you know, the thing about the farming is that it, it takes a balance of a lot of different things. You, there's economics, there's mechanics, there's uh, science and biology, and there's there's all these facets that I find to be really fascinating and keeps me mentally engaged while at the same time providing a cathartic outlet for, um, you know, life and the stressors of life. And so being able to go out into a garden and grow, um, it's like, it, it's just, a, it's a healing thing and, and it's a self-sufficiency thing. And to be able to provide for my family and myself, and also for my neighbors, it feels really good to have a fresh, uh, you know, crop of chard and to be able to send that home with the neighbor kids and they get to have, you know, mixed greens at night, uh, known that it came from an organic garden right in the neighborhood. There was no oil or fuel used to ship it across the country or across the globe. It was all made right here in our community um, that just provides you with a really um, not just a confidence but kind of a peace of mind. And yeah, so... we've, talked, we've talked about different ways to help communities get into gardening. So 
is that something that you'd still want to work with me on in the future once your farm is up and running? Oh, absolutely. So uh, one of the big things that, that we're trying to do working wise is to support organizations that bring farming to uh, the masses, right? And so there's UC Davis has an agricultural sustainability institute. Uh, they have a Russell ranch up there. Um, they work on urban farming. UC Davis is huge in, in urban farming research. Mm -hmm. uh, Cal State Chino is another really good research, resource for regenerative agriculture and resilient systems. And what they're finding, especially like at, at UC Berkeley, they have a, a center for diversified farming systems. And the costs and the carbon output of actually moving fruits, vegetables, and textiles around the globe uh, is enormous. Mm -hmm. And if we can produce more of these things in the city, you relieve congestion because you don't have trucks having to come into the city all the time to bring in these things. You're taking vehicles off the road, you're reducing carbon inputs, and you're growing things. So you're actually sequestering carbon and putting that back into an organic storage facility, basically. And so growing these trees, and uh, they're, they're finding that wood, you know, is, is as a building material, if it's done properly, is a sustainable resource. And so all of these things are gaining speed and traction and being able to, to be a part of that is just really, it's been wonderful. What's it been like moving from Michigan and into California? How are, how are Californians different? Oh, wow, that's a question I hadn't thought about in a long time. Um, so in terms of gardening and their approach to agriculture yeah the uh well for one thing the soils are very different and uh, all soils in the region that's really where everything starts right is with your soil and your water um the soils in michigan are, are more acidic they're peaty and so they're really good for certain things like blueberries for for instance grow really well there um, and then you come out to California and it's very basic. The, the soil is, is a little more alkaline. Um, it, it doesn't like blueberries tend to not really like to grow here. It's a little hot. The climate's very different. You know, we get two growing seasons here in California. A lot of people don't realize that, but we don't have like a, a spring and a, a winter harvest. We have a spring summer a little bit. It gets a little hot here but we have spring, fall, and winter harvests. So if, if you manage your crops properly here, some people are getting three and even four harvests off in a year, where in Michigan, you're lucky if you can get two off. Some will only get one a year. And so the approaches are very different out here. Um, you know, there's a lot more urban farming. There's a lot more very precise land management and use of acreage being that our land in California is so very expensive. Uh, that also uh, is a detractor for a lot of farmers. It's one of the major issues that the academics work on is, is access to land through the state and the federal governments. Uh, Michigan generally doesn't have that much of a problem there, um, though land is getting pricier there as well. Uh, it seems to be a nationwide trend. Um, but the, you know, the farmers of Michigan have some very different problems than the farmers in California. We don't typically in Michigan have to deal with dust storms that come through and, and pock up all your leaves. Um, 
generally Michigan doesn't have to deal with, with droughts, but they do have to deal with floods. The water tables there are very low. Uh, you can often drill 20 feet and find water most places in the state. So uh, a deep well in Michigan is 150 feet, where in California, you may have to drill 800 feet to find water. So um, they're just very different types of environments. And I'm taking what I've learned from California, especially at UC Davis, their agricultural extension, um, the, the San Diego County Master Gardeners, um, and applying some of the more, um, the basic principles of the growing while I relearn and adapt to the soil conditions in Michigan. It's going to take a lot of soil analysis and we're, the first couple of years really is going to be rebuilding and making sure that we build a healthy biome in our soil in, in the crops so that- Do you plan on foundation. doing any aquaponics or having any indoor gardens with hydroponics? Absolutely. Uh, for two reasons. One, uh, you can completely control the environment, which is helpful from a research standpoint. And then two, it will extend our growing season. So being able to start our seedlings and such indoors and then put them in a planter once the thaw breaks uh, and, and we're frost free, uh, that will increase our ability to produce and thereby be sustainable. And so uh, we also have a lot of water. Uh, we have a, a natural stream that runs through the property. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, to try and develop cranberry bogs, for instance, uh, putting cranberries and uh, attract wildlife uh, aquaponically. Uh, you know, we have to, we have some zoning things we have to look at as to whether you know what waters we can use and which waters we can't for development. Um, those are all things we're going to be flushing out in the the policy when we get there. You know, in the spring, uh, these are things we're working on now. The Alpine Township Development Board meets on the twentieth uh, next week, and and then there's zoning meetings after that, and. You know, there's a, there is a bureaucracy that you have to, to wade into whenever you're developing any type of property. And so ours is no different. And, you know, we have to go be a part of our community and find out what's going to work best in our community and find out where there's shortcomings. Like, you know, when I go back to Michigan, I don't see a lot of kohlrabi on the shelves. It's, it's kind of a shame because it's such a versatile vegetable. Um, and it's really cold hardy and disease resistant and pest resistant. And so, you know, uh, that's one of the challenges that we'll face is working on along through the zoning. Um, another large challenge is actually our crop planning. Um, when you're, especially when you're doing, you know, biologically integrated farming, you have to forecast and you generally have to forecast at least three years out. And, you know, anyone who knows about making predictions it's, you know, that is, it's a, it's a dartboard. It's a blindfolded game of darts. Um, you can try and make educated guesses of what things are gonna do, but, you know, our climate's changing so rapidly these days, you have to prepare, prepare yourself for drought or flood. So you have to, you know, make sure that you have the ability to retain moisture in your soil, but also drain moisture from your soil at the same time. So you have a lot of competing environmental factors that you have to work into your models and and so that's really probably one of the largest challenges that we'll face as a as a farm is to figure out what we can plant where and when 
Do you have an approximate idea of how many jobs you would create on just this one family farm that, that does more than just one crop that's doing lots of crops. And that's also part of agro-tourism. Do you have any idea? And are you just kind of employing family members or are you looking to other farms for experienced hands? Well, that's a really good question, Mark. Yes. Uh, so the, you know, the goal of a farm is not just to produce fruits and vegetables and livestock. It is to produce jobs and create revenue for the community. Uh, we're projecting right now that we're going to require and, and create roughly 20 jobs throughout the farm. Uh, that's both for the equestrian side of things. We have horses and, and livestock and, you know, entomologists for, for bug control and and pest planning and such. Mm -hmm. And so while, while we do plan on using some family, you know, not all of my family is, is particularly interested in farming. Some of them are into cars and, and some of them are into electronics and robotics, though he, 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 we have, we have a plan for them. We, I have a sales pitch for them, right? Because drones and robots are actually changing the face of agriculture right now as we speak. Um, but our goal really is to bring in other veterans. Um, there's a, a link between helping heal those with PTSD and building confidence in, in veterans who've lost limbs through farming. Uh, so we, you know, through um, our work, we'd like to attract disabled veterans or wounded warriors and come help teach them how to be their own farmers. We're working with the, the uh, Farmer Veteran Coalition. Uh, they are a nonprofit out of California here, and they are nationwide, and they are helping uh, farmers. So what we do is basically hire veterans, teach them the ropes, and then help them to get the resources and the connections they need to buy their own farms. Uh, that's one of the things that your listeners can do to help is look for the Homegrown by Heroes label. That is a label from veteran farmers uh, who own their own farms and bring produce to the community. Uh, most states now have their own uh, Homegrown by Heroes label. Uh, one of the other things we're gonna do is, is attract uh, female farmers. Uh, they're one of the largest and fastest growing first generation farmers in the country is, is women farmers who are coming in and buying up uh, small parcels. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you have a hundred acre farm or a three acre farm. If you manage your resources properly and you plan accordingly and you put in some, some sweat equity, you can make a farm successful. And that's, that's a resurgence because farmers had struggled for so long um, as you know, the prices of commodities haven't gone up really. Corn's between three and four dollars a bushel, and that might have been great in 1970 when gas was 88 cents a gallon. But now you have fuel costs and oil costs and machinery costs that have really gone up. And with the the price of corn and soybeans and your your basic building block commodities not really rising along with the costs, a lot of farms have gone under. And I think. In the last year, we've seen that with a lot of farm bankruptcies. They're at near record levels for farm bankruptcies. And uh, a lot of that is the marketplace not adapting to the, to the rapidly changing economic environment. And so if we can bring and attract you know, people to come work on our farm and help show them the ropes and see how and why this is, is economically and environmentally sustainable, we can send them out 
and build their own farms and then hopefully emulate what we're doing and, and recreate that and, and be able to create more jobs. Yeah. And I know you're a numbers guy. Have you run the numbers? The numbers are, that's a, that's a really muddy. Do you see it as a sustainable endeavor? I mean, you know, we should be able to get a million dollars back in 50 or 60 years. Right. Like it's farming. Nobody, nobody goes into farming really to get rich. It's not going to happen. Uh, the economics and your margins get really slim and really tight. And that's why it's really important to have a good understanding of economic models and your, your books and your return on investment and manage your money very wisely because it is, it is a, um, it's an intensive industry to be in agriculture is. And while there's a lot of breaks uh, tax wise for farms, you still have to make sound investments if it's going to work in the long run. And so uh, the numbers right now, we're getting into them and, and we haven't gotten through them entirely yet. Um, I'll know more. We check back in about this time next year. We should have a, a much better figure on it. Um, but we can make this sustainable. It, uh, it just depends on you know, how far you want to take it, whether we expand and, and whatnot, we're going to start small and, and just grow the, a slow, steady pace. You know, every, every great journey begins with a yeah, single I don't think step. Anyone and so growing too fast usually doesn't work out for people. Right. Right. And we're, we're trying to take a multi-generational approach to it. And so, you know, like I said, the farm's been in our family for 60 years, which is a relatively short amount of time. Uh, definitely for this community, uh, but a lot of them around the country. And so, um, so you have we'll a big, see. Uh, attracting capital is always a challenge, but we're going to do it. You have a big family back home. How big is your family back home? Oh, man. The immediate family is not, is not all that bad. You know, there's probably, probably 30 or 40 of us. But being that the family has been back in Michigan since, you know, oh, as I'm talking, you have a chicken just wandered into the house. Uh, somebody left the door. <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe hey, it. Get out of here. Get out of here. Um, we're, there's roughly three, four hundred extended family back. You count in all the, the Terpstras and Reisters and and Kleins and Dunnenbecks and Clanks and Clarks and and yeah, Jameses and Slussers and all there's I mean we we probably have to be approaching a thousand. Wow. Your reunions must be phenomenal. Non existent and nobody nobody's got time for that. Well maybe uh maybe the, that's your problem they will. Maybe one day that's I like that. That'd be be a lot of fun. We could all park on my neighbor's lawn. I bet he'd love it. So I, one of the things about you Rick, is you're consultative in your approach, and that's one of the reasons you've been providing uh, excellent service to green carpet growing customers. I mean, you've helped people in all kinds of gardening situations, and I mean, I wish you great success on this Michigan farm and agro-tourism endeavor. Uh, you think you taught all of us a lot today. And you're always teaching and you're always sharing. You have so much information. And you know what? I did want to ask you about bees. I know you know a lot about bees, 
And I know that you were working on getting your bees set up here in San Diego. Are you doing something in Michigan too? Absolutely, we're doing something in Michigan. And thank you for bringing that up. Uh, One of the things that we're really doing, uh, and another way that if if listeners would like to help support veterans or support agriculture or sustainable development is to check out Heroes to Hives. Uh, This is an organization that takes veterans and their families, uh, whether they're surviving members, uh, and they teach them how to grow hives. Uh, Bees are critically important, and uh, many people know that bees have been dying off, colony collapse disorder. And so what Heroes to Hives does is it's a nine-month program that works through Michigan State University. It was the brainchild of of Adam and Lacey Ingrau. Uh, Adam is an Army veteran. And he's an apiarist, he keeps bees, and he teaches other people how to raise bees and build their own apiaries so that they can support what is a $20 billion a year industry here in the United States. And so uh, heroes to hives, uh, bees are critically important. Please, uh, please don't smash bees when you see them on your window or in your car, just roll down the window, let them fly away and go back to work. Um, we love bees. Uh, that's in our first year. Uh, our establishment will be for to build six hives. Uh, the ultimate goal, we'll, we should have around 30 to 40 hives when we're all said and done. And so, yeah, bees. Love Go bees. It. And love you, Rick. Um, thanks for all you do. Thanks for being yourself and, and sharing your gifts and your wisdom and your experience. If anyone wants to get in touch with Rick and have him consult um, your endeavor, uh, reach out to Green Carpet Growing. And Rick, do you have any last words for our guests? No, that's about it. Uh, again, check out uh, the Farmer Veteran Coalition, Heroes to Hives. Look for that Homegrown by Heroes label, uh, the Semper Fi Fund, and Green Carpet Growing. Thank you all so much for your support. And uh, yeah, looking forward to updating you with in the future. Thanks, you thanks so much Farmer for having Rick, me, Mark. I'll have you on in about six months or a year again. Looking forward to it. <laughs> hey, Sounds everybody! Great. Green Carpet Growing Take finally care. has online growing cannabis webinars with Cat Betty. She's our education director. She has a master's in education, and she knows how to run experiential education. So we've put together some great webinars, and in association with Dark Heart Nursery. We're going to bring you these online growing webinars. Sign up on our website. We'll even let you in for free. You're just going to have to send us a picture of your plant that we can use for our future uh, curriculum and outreach. So if you send us pictures of your plants, we'll let you come into our webinars for free. Uh, That's for a limited time, but come on over to Green Carpet Grow. Check out those online webinars, and we want to help you grow bigger, better, be the best home grower you possibly can be. Thanks again, Rick, for sticking around. And uh, till next time, everybody, keep growing. Thanks for tuning in to my cannabis podcast. If you enjoyed it, share with a friend, family member, or colleague so everyone can get informed on all things cannabis this 2021. Nursery is California's leading cannabis nursery, offering over 100 plus varieties of premium genetics. From new strains to classics and exotics, there's something for everyone. Home growers and farmers can learn more at 
darkheartnursery.com. We're also selling high-quality hemp cigarettes made in San Diego, so if you're looking for an alternative to traditional cigarettes, look no further. They're made in San Diego, there's no nicotine, tobacco, or added chemicals, and everything, even the box, filter, and paper are made from hemp. 